Once again, good morning. If you have a Bible, please turn to the book of Romans. It is toward the back of your Bible in the New Testament. It's right after the book of Acts. You may have uh, heard a few weeks ago there was this huge marathon in Mexico, thousands of runners, and reportedly uh, 11,000 of them were disqualified for cheating. The uh, actual true number that is being reported is somewhere around 1,800. But some of the attempts went something like this. They're running along, and somewhere on the course, they get in an Uber and cut off the course. And I'm just thinking, they train, they eat right, they sleep better than I do. Why would you cheat? Because we want to be seen as better than we are. And God says in the book of Romans, especially the first few chapters, that all of our attempts at that are just like those runners. Invalid. Disqualified. All of our attempts at trying to be seen as better than we are are a waste of time. And there's good news. You don't have to waste your time. You don't have to cheat you don't have to call an Uber because God has provided exactly what you need, a way to not just be seen as righteous, but to be declared righteous through the work of another. So let's read this morning, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray. Father, I do pray, as Eric prayed, that you would strengthen me to preach the gospel, that you would keep all the arrows of the enemy away from me and from your people who you love dearly, who you came into this world to give your life as a ransom through the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, to buy us and redeem us and make us your beautiful bride. Would you give us ears to hear, to be strengthened by grace today? And God, for those who are not open to the message of the gospel, would you open their hearts? Because we know that this, just, this is not just a mental activity. This isn't just opinions or agreement mentally. This isn't just information. This is from above. And it is written for us. Would you allow us to receive it with great joy today? Maybe for the first time, we ask in Jesus' name. So I'm going to give two illustrations to start this morning. One is from uh, the culture and one is from the Bible. And I think they basically are saying the same thing. One is a TV show that I rarely watch. I just caught the end of it one time and it's called The Masked Singer. And if you know how this show goes, there is this probably a famous person, maybe a Grammy Award winning singer, and they're dressed up in this costume, and they've got this big old mask on, so you don't know who they are. And the whole point 
is for the judges and the people to figure out who is the singer. And so they sing and you hear their voice and you're like, who is it? And so as they get toward the end where they're going to reveal who it is, the judges and all the crowd are on the edge of their seat waiting for the mask to be taken off and so that the person is revealed. And once they do that, I was not ready for this because I thought, oh, that's cool. They'll know that it was uh, so-and-so singing. It, it was nothing like that at all. Everyone went crazy. It was like this great power just took off. Someone was revealed or something was revealed to them that brought power. Now let's go to Scripture. Luke chapter 13, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, as he often did, and there was a woman there that had a disabling spirit. And what this spirit did to this woman is it made her bend over like this. For 18 years, she could not look up. That meant she couldn't look you eye to eye. You can think of the psychological things that would happen, the shame that might come from just not, not measuring up, not being able to be a normal part of society. It said that she was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And then he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was straight. She was made straight. Her back started working for the first time in 18 years. And she glorified God. Do you see the similarity? A power, this is Jesus' power, is revealed. And there is response. There is activity. There is glory to God. What we're going to see today is that very same idea. Something is revealed that brings power. Last week we started the book of Romans. We asked who wrote it? Paul wrote it. To whom did he write? He wrote to a church in Rome that he did not found, he did not plant. In fact, he had never visited this church before. And we also asked what is this letter about? And Paul gives us that in verse 1 and again he gives us that today. This letter is about the gospel. One writer said it like this, if Romans as a letter sums up the gospel, then the two verses that we are looking at today sum up Romans. Three points today. What is the gospel? Why do we need the gospel? And thirdly, how do we get what the gospel gives? And I'm going to tell you ahead of time, this message for some of us will be offensive. So be prepared. If you are offended, not because of something I say, that is not my plan. But if this message offends you, be open to what God might be doing in you. Be open that that might actually be 
God. So first of all, what is the gospel? Last week we said that the gospel is good news. It's not good advice. It is not good morals. It is not a list of standards that you are told to keep. It is good news about something that was done for you. It is good news about a king winning a victory and you and I get to share in the spoils. Today, look at verse 16. Paul goes on to explain more about the gospel. He says, I am not ashamed of this good news. I am not ashamed of this gospel. For it is what? The power of God for salvation. What is the gospel? It is the power of God for salvation. In other words, it is not simply information. It is not details that are just disclosed for our understanding that we just sort of put in our minds, but it is what? Power. It is operative power that has a saving effect. It is active. It is dynamic. It is the power of God brought to bear on a sinful situation. That, in a nutshell, is the gospel. But notice Secondly, under this point, what is the source of this power? God. Look how he says it. The power of God. The source of this power is God. If somebody were to ask you, and we didn't do this in the 70s and 80s, if someone said in the 70s and 80s, where were your coffee beans resourced or sourced? You'd say uh, Maxwell House, Folgers. That's all we had. But now it's like this region of Africa, this region of what? It's like, and, and like this region is better because they're sourced over here and this coffee's better. Paul says that the source of the, this power is God. It originates in and from God. God is the source of the power, and that's good news. Why? Because that means that you and I are not, nor were we meant to be. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. He is the source. Praise God. Now, this week, um, my wife's car was in the shop to get the rear bumper fixed and she got a rental and I got home and I saw this van sitting there and I thought why did they give her a van that's all they had but I was going to hurry up and mow the grass and weed eat before it rained for 30 minutes in the past three weeks it caught me but that's a whole nother story but I go to back up her rental van and I get in it and of course there's no key anymore there's not even a button that I'm finally getting used to. There's a knob, and you just turn it to D. I thought, okay, turn it to D. Saw some lights, heard nothing. thought, uh, this van doesn't work. Turn it back off, turn it to D. Like nothing, not a sound. And I thought, oh, goofball, it's a hybrid. And I very carefully touched the gas, and it went backwards. It had power. 
but it was a source that I was not used to. And you have to understand that. You and I have to understand, and this is not an argument for hybrids or gasoline. I don't care what you drive. I ride a bike. Anyway, I am more righteous than you. Just kidding. All right, look. We are so used to thinking a certain way about righteousness. As a matter of fact, since Genesis 3, we're hardwired to think that the source of this power, this gospel, is us. And it's not. It's a completely different engine, battery, chassis vehicle. It may look the same on the outside in some degree, but it is not under the hood. And this gospel is just like that. The source, the power, is not you. Nor was it meant to be. It is from above. Do you sense that power at work in you? Look, it doesn't have to be super outward and emotional. That's not what I'm talking about. We can, we can even manufacture that sort of sense of power in the church. We can do all sorts of loud music and try to get you all revved up. And That's not what we're talking about. But do you ever sense that power at work in you? Because its source is God. What is the gospel? It is the power of God. Secondly, why do we need it? Very simply, because, as we will see for the next few chapters, we are powerless. And I know this is so un-American. America is all about do-it-yourself, pull yourself up by it, get on it. That is not the gospel. We are powerless. We cannot save ourselves. Is the power of God for what? Salvation. Why? We need saving. Why do we need saving? Because we lack something according to Paul and according to the testament of the whole Bible. We lack something. And what is it? It's righteousness. What gives the gospel its power? Look at verse 17. Someone is taken off the mask and something is revealed. What is revealed? In it, in the gospel... The righteousness of God has been revealed. There's that source thing again. It's not you. It's not your righteousness. It was never meant to be. What does God do in the gospel? Reveals a righteousness. Now, what does that mean? What righteousness? There's been debate about this for years and centuries, but I can tell you... Uh, factually, that it is not talking here about an attribute of God. Some people think, well, uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. Da, 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 da. For in it, the righteousness of God as an attribute is revealed. In other words, God is saying, I'm going to show you something in the gospel. I'm righteous. What's the problem with that? Well, that's not how Paul uses it mainly throughout the book of Romans. But in fact, if it were an attribute... As John Murray says, it would seal your damnation. 
Because Paul says in Romans 7, when I understood the law of God, which is simply, as our confession says, a reflection of God's beautiful, glorious character, and I know you're kind of scared of the law, but the law is beautiful and good. When someone loves their neighbor in the right way, it's just good. When someone doesn't cheat, but they're generous, it's just good. And when we see God's attributes through the law, if we look at that, we see how kind of lawless we are. That's what the reformers would have called the first use of the law. So it's not that God is saying, here's my attribute of righteousness. What is it then? It's a legal word. Now, I'm not a lawyer. I had to Google all this and look all this up and read commentators who are much smarter than I. But it simply means this. You may hear the word forensic and you might go to one of those shows that deal with forensics, but what that meant back in the day was an open court, a public court, something that is settled publicly before a judge. In other words, what this righteousness is, it gets at a legal need that we have to be declared righteous, to be seen as better than we are. For that to be settled by a judge publicly. To be declared in the right versus in the wrong. It is what the lawyer in your heart, according to Romans 2, does every time. And not just your heart, I'm really good at this. Our consciences do what? They both accuse us, man, Fritz, you're really bad. And they defend us, you're not so bad. And that second part of that conscience... It's trying to get you in the right when you're in that argument, even if you know you're in the wrong. And in this case, Paul is saying this, the power of the gospel is because it saves you by God revealing something He does for you that actually puts you in the right with God, and get this, this is hugely important, because I think you believe that first part. You believe that it puts you in the right with God, but what you don't believe is that it puts you in the right with His law. You're seen as perfectly righteous, as if you kept every jot and tittle of God's law. Do you believe that? Paul said you'd never believe it if God wouldn't reveal it, but he's revealed it to you. That's what this whole book is about, how you can be in the right with God and his holy will. And we'll see the big word for that later, justified by the righteousness of another. Listen again to John Murray. He says it like this. I love this. It is a God righteousness. God is its author. It is a righteousness that elicits the divine approval, a righteousness that meets all the demands of His justice and therefore avails before God. But the particular emphasis rests upon its divine property and is therefore contrasted not only with human unrighteousness. You ready for this? Because Paul's going to get to this later not only contrasted with human unrighteousness, but with human righteousness. This righteousness will burn away your virtues that you try to stand on to prove to God that you're good. 
This is John Murray. Romans 8, verse 3, Paul says it like this. God has done what the law could not do. So I've told you before that when I was a teenager, I spent a night in jail. If you want more info about that, I'm happy to tell you. But what happened afterwards was I had to go before a judge. You ever been before a judge when you were guilty? When you knew you were guilty? The police, the breathalyzer report, well, okay, that told you what I did. Witnesses, my parents could easily vouch for my guilt. And I went before the judge knowing I was guilty, knowing I was about to be sentenced. And you know what? I walked out of there free. Do you know why? Because I pleaded to him how good I was. Nope. Because I cried. I did cry. Nope. Because I said, well, look at my good record. Nope. I don't know why. He simply looked at me and said, you are not guilty. Go in peace. You know what I did? Dad, how quickly can we get out of here? Pew! Free. Because the judge determined it. You know what this means for us? This is such good news, Christians. This is why the church should be different than the world. You are free to stop faking righteousness. You are free trying to prove to people how good you are. You know the world's doing that. And the religious people are doing that. We don't have to do that. We are free to stop trying to establish our own righteousness as a mother. Mothers, oh my goodness, at the standards of righteousness that are out there in Christian circles that you've got to keep. Walk away from those standards. And walk into the righteousness of Christ. And it will start making you a mother that your children actually kind of like. Ask this question to yourself. Where do I seem to be failing the most? When you sit and reflect, you think about your failures and how you fail. And that is the very place where you are most tempted to self-righteous yourself. Instead of what he gets to in the last point. How do we get this righteousness? By faith. Listen to how he says it. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, don't get lost in that. That's just how God laid it out. The Jews were not preferred over the Greeks in some, they're, they're more special. God says in the Old Testament, they weren't any more special. Matter of fact, they were like at the bottom of the rung. I'm, I'm showing my grace and favor by picking the worst of the worst and the least of the least. That means anybody can be saved. It's just the way he, it's just the way he did it. But listen to what he says. Everyone who believes from faith for faith or faith to faith. And I think, boy, commentators go crazy on what does that mean. It's, I think Paul's just saying, bro, sisters, it's faith. It's faith. 
And that's why Paul can back up in verse 14 and 15 and say this is, this is for Greeks and barbarians. It's for Jewish, it's for, it's for non-Jewish, it's for, it's for Gentiles, it's for wise and the foolish. It, it's irrespective of your credentials. It's irrespective of your race, your culture, your tribe, your color, your gender, your degree, your aptitude, your morality, your intelligence, your virtue, your dependability. Irrespective of others. Irrespective of how good of a dad you are, how bad of a dad you are, how good of a mom you are, how bad of a mom, how good of a husband, how good of a single person. It's irrespective of all of that. You simply receive it by faith. Religion is being saved by our attempt to give righteousness, to give God a righteousness that we achieve. The gospel is being saved by getting from God a righteousness that we receive. Do you see the difference in that? Now for some of you, this is new news. And, and we would love to talk more with you about this. But for some of you, this is old news, and you kind of knew this, and you've learned this, and you know, you've been discipled in this, but, but it's sort of gotten old and stale, and you found yourself kind of trying to, to add to Jesus' righteousness. But notice here at the end, as we begin to land the plane, what he says at the end, the righteous shall live by faith. In other words, you don't just receive it by faith, you live by faith. As many others have said, the gospel is not the A, B, C's. It's the A to Z of Christian living. Because if you go back to Habakkuk and you look at the original context of this verse, these Christians, early Christians so to speak, were living in, with big old bad Babylonian coming down on them. A bunch of barbarians. And again, you know how that goes. How do we live in such an evil culture? Right? And one of the temptations is when you live in a very secular culture is to feel superior. Stop. Stop. This is what Habakkuk says. The righteous will live by faith. Daily getting up every day saying, you know what? I don't have to look down on those Babylonians and I don't have to be like those Babylonians who are churning at the bit to become something. Cheating to look valid. I'm going to live by faith today. Let's go back to our original thought as we come to a close. Power. What fuels you? If you're a Christian, what fuels you? Is it the righteousness of God or trying to establish your own righteousness? One will bring great power. The other will bring minimal obedience. What do I mean by that? One will free you, as Eric said earlier, to confess your sin. In fact, to confess not just like your behavioral sins, but to confess your self-righteousness instead of 
confessing the sins of others. We could spend a lot of time in this pulpit confessing the sins of the world. And you think we're going to do it in chapter 1. In fact, Paul uses chapter 1 to talk about how bad the world is to do what? To set up the church and say, you, why are you looking down on these people? But more importantly, if the gospel and the righteousness of Christ is fueling you and it gets into your heart and you are able to walk out of that judge's courtroom as a free person, it will set you free. Sin will no longer have dominion over you like it used to. In fact, you like Paul will say, I'm eager to talk about it. I'm eager to proclaim it. And I'm not ashamed in a world of religion that says it's about good works and doing and doing. In a world of secular age that it's about power or intelligence. You're like, I'm done with all that. I got better news. And I'm not ashamed of it. Let me finish with this story that I think beautifully illustrates this. Another one of my favorites in our staff meeting the other day, I told them to pick a favorite passage in the Gospels, and they all picked theirs. And I said, mine are all the narratives in Luke. They're like, that's not fair. But I like them all. But here's one I really like. It is in Luke chapter 7, and you know the story there is Jesus at a Pharisee's house. There's this mill. And then there's this woman. You know the type. Woman of the city. She's got a past. She was a, a sinner. But you know what? She was near Jesus. And Jesus let her near him. And she was so overcome with his love and so overcome with his grace and so overcome with who he was and what was being revealed that, that the eagerness and the joy and the worship and the obedience did what? It began to flow out of her. And then there's Simon. And Jesus... I would hate for Jesus walking in the room like compare me with this woman. I'm like, ah. But that's exactly what he does. He says, Simon, have you seen this woman? Which you, Jesus, should, you shouldn't have said that in that culture, but he did. Have you seen this woman? She can't stop weeping and wiping my feet with her tears. And all you've given me, Simon, is this minimal, scrupulous obedience. She's had no book on worship. She's read no theology books on law and gospel and obedience. She's just flooding me with love. You've done the minimum because there's no power. There's no fuel. You're still driving like the Flintstones. See, the gospel is the power of salvation. Because in it, a righteousness sourced by God 
is revealed to us. Let me leave you with this question. Has that faith healed you? Go in peace, he says to her. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has saved you, sorry. But he says that in many other places, doesn't he? Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Do you live by that faith? Would you like to learn about that faith? Believe in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, for so many years of my own life, I did not understand this. I I was raised in the church and Lord was still trying to obey you to get you to love me. And it was not working. And then someone taught me and preached this message and my life started to change. And many, many in this room can testify that whether their parents or their Sunday school teacher or a pastor or a book or a class, they, they learned this gospel. And God, we pray that we would continue to live by faith. We'd be free people. And God, for those who have never heard this or understood it, maybe, maybe they're offended or provoked or maybe they, they would love to know the God of this power that frees captives. Would you help them today to see for the first time Jesus? Heal us, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.